0: Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director of the Center for Understanding and Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And My guest today is Eric Wheeler. He's a family mediator based in Burlington, Vermont, and he specializes in divorce and post-divorce mediation. Eric advocates for a peaceful divorce process using divorce mediation and conflict resolution. In post-divorce mediation, Eric helps couples work through disagreements about parenting schedules, custody, and financial issues. He offers a webinar about divorcing peacefully without litigation, which teaches people about two options, divorce mediation and collaborative law. Welcome, Eric Wheeler. It's a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be with you.
0: So let's talk today about post-divorce issues. What are some of the issues that come up for people after the judgment of divorce is final, and they, they reach, they still have conflict? What are the kinds of things that come up for them?
1: Sure. Yeah. So quite often people come to me with issues
0: that come up afterwards,
1: and it's, it's a smaller part of my practice. It's about forty percent of what I do, and the rest is is divorce mediation. So as I've seen these people come with their challenges i've realized that that there's kind of a a common set of themes that that they bring um that they run into problems later after the divorce so you know one of the the main problems i see is that they don't get specific on some of the details around their agreements the parenting agreement uh, is usually where they have the most problems so for example they may not have specified uh, specific details around the holidays. You know, for example, they may have said, well, dad will get Thanksgiving in the odd years, but what does Thanksgiving mean? And quite often people are, are amicable at the time of divorce and which is wonderful. And sometimes they, they feel it's a little silly to talk about the specifics of, you know, what does Thanksgiving mean? When will the kids come to, each person's house. But it's important to take that time and get specific, even if it doesn't feel necessary, because that agreement can help prevent a lot of conflict later. So if you determine that Thanksgiving means 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., then that eliminates a lot of uncertainty and, and prevents conflict.
0: With regard to the the Thanksgiving example, because I think it's a really good one. If you didn't get really granular and talk about what each of you meant, people could genuinely interpret Thanksgiving in different ways. Some people could think and assume, and without discussing it, think that they were talking about a Thanksgiving meal. So we're talking, we always do Thanksgiving dinner. It starts at 5 and it's over at 8. Or we always do Thanksgiving lunch. It starts at 1 and it's over by 3. Or it's the whole day. We go to Aunt Sally's house and we get there at 10 and it's football and there's this and there's that and the other thing. and, And that's the whole day. Other people could think, you know what, it's a whole four days. It's four days, yeah, and it's a four, it's a whole vacation. Thanksgiving starts on Thursday morning or on Wednesday after school, and clearly it goes all the way through to the next Monday because we maybe would go down to Florida or we might uh, go mm-hmm. to the beach or we might just go to see relatives in another state or even just hang out at home. And so someone could be thinking, okay, we're going to alternate Thanksgivings. One person could be talking about a two-hour window, another person could be talking about five straight days, <laughs> and and yeah, you know, when we're really careful about and we're talking about what does Thanksgiving mean, and that people could, coming from a good place, right, not trying to be problematic at all, just have a different assumption about what that means. And I think that's one thing that you're talking about, clarifying different assumptions and also clarifying things that happen when you actually go to live the agreement and realize it's maybe not the same as you thought it was going to be. Is that right?
1: Exactly right. Yeah. And and as you pointed out, Catherine, there there are so many different ways that people look at things, like holiday and and so that's what I try to do in, in divorce mediation is, is take them through that and have them each talk about what's important to them. So one of them may say, I don't know, let's make, just make it Thanksgiving Day. The other parent may say, well, but remember, I like to take the kids to, to visit my parents. And so they need to talk that through and, and actually have that discussion. And then they can come to an agreement that'll work for both of them and, and just having that. Agreement and ideally in the, the final order will really help with that. So, so that's one thing I see frequently is, is people coming and having disagreements about the holidays or changes to the regular schedule or the summer schedule. And, and like you're saying, it, it may not be malicious. Uh, it may just be a true misunderstanding from two very different perspectives.
0: Well, I think sometimes with parenting issues, the introduction of new partners can sometimes make people see things in a different way. What do you think about that? Is that your experience?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, the with a new partner, they're often getting yeah, there's obviously more details to figure out. So that new partner's family has has different, you know, their their nuclear family has different practices and and so that may impact the schedule or if they have their own children that that could impact things too because of the schedule that their children are on and then also just kind of getting perspective and advice from that new partner sometimes it really can exacerbate a conflict unfortunately but they want to kind of talk about what's important to them and and how it impacts them which is all reasonable and sometimes i've had two couples in mediation talking things through, you know, if if they can do that uh, fairly effectively, then that works really well because they're all talking about how these different schedule issues impact each of their lives.
0: So, Eric Wheeler, I can imagine someone out there listening to this conversation thinking, yeah, right, how's mediation going to help? We've had a lot of conversations, and it doesn't get us anywhere. All we do is end up arguing. And so tell me what your experience is. Like, Why does mediation make a difference when people just can't seem to get anywhere on their own?
1: Yeah, that that is a, a frequent misunderstanding of mediation is that we can't talk things through directly one on one, then mediation's not going to be helpful. But that that's not the case for most people because uh most people benefit a lot from having a third party and having someone facilitate who's, who's trained to facilitate people to go through those difficult discussions. So even if you're having a lot of conflict, you can come together in mediation and and talk things through. So, you know, we in mediation we try to identify what we refer to as people's interests, which are are distinct from their positions. And understanding those interests, so for example, a position might be um well, I need x thousand dollars. Let's say we're talking about asset division during divorce. If we understand what's underneath that, for example, while well, I'm concerned about my finances, um, when I have my new home by myself, then, you know, there are ways to, there are a lot more opportunities to work through that and come to an agreement. And, you know, the alternative litigation going to court is very different because it's, it's really focused on the past. It's really focused on blaming, you know, in most cases, focused on what that person did wrong in the past. And it's not talking about a solution for the future. So, so mediation is two people working together. To create that solution for the future, it's, it's forward looking. And even if it's not easy to work together, you're much more likely to come to a solution that's going to work well for you and your family because you're working on it. You're in control of it. And that's, that's why I love mediation. I, I actually spoke to a, a family court judge a while back and uh, she said, tell your clients that, that I wholeheartedly advocate for mediation. She said, I've got a limited amount of time to be able to make a decision. So the two parties come in and I've got, you know, maybe half an hour and I don't have the time to really get into the situation and understand it as much as I would like to make that decision for them. So, you know, she said, tell them that, that, um, they're better off in mediation. You can tell them I said that. (laughs) So she was, she was a real advocate of it.
0: I'm Catherine Miller and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WVOX 1460 AM alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 530 or perhaps you're listening to the podcast which is available wherever you listen to podcasts as well as on the podcast website divorcedialogues.com and I'm talking today with Eric Wheeler about mediation of post-divorce issues and Eric Wheeler we've talked about some post-divorce parenting issues and you know are there financial issues that sometimes come up following a divorce that people come to mediation or need help with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one common one is about who's going to claim the children for taxes, for tax purposes. Um and that can be quite significant. You know, the, the child tax credit or um especially in the last year or so the additional incentives that, that were given out, the pandemic relief, that amounted to quite a bit of money. So I see frequently that there's disagreement about who should claim the child or children. And, you know, that's something that, that you can address beforehand. You know, if you're, if you're aware of it, you can specify who should receive it and how it will be done. So for example uh, you might say that one parent will claim the child tax credit every other year, you know, they'll, they'll switch it every other year or that one parent will claim one child, the other parent will claim the other child. So there are ways that you can structure this so that it's not a conflict later. I've even seen some couples say that, well, let's do our taxes every year, see who gets the better benefit from claiming the children, and then we'll split the tax refund. So taxes is one that that comes up frequently for me in in post-divorce mediation.
0: Well, it's kind of interesting because a couple of examples that we've talked about so far seem like they could have easily been addressed in the original negotiation, right? How to define giving, how to handle a child tax credit or exemption, depending on where we are and what tax year we're talking about. But what are things that, like, come up that if everybody did everything right, dotted every I and crossed every T – you still end up with disagreements on the post-divorce. What are some things that could happen like that? And is mediation a good way for people to resolve those things?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. And a good point, too, that you certainly can't prevent every conflict. I wish that that were the case, but you can't. And so you just have to do the best you can addressing uh, as many issues as possible that, that you think could be problematic getting as specific as you can but in the end there's going to be surprises you know most likely so for example let's say that one parent needs to move because uh for work reasons so you know that that's fairly common and and mediation allows people to to talk that through in a way that that they Are going to find the best solution possible. So, when when someone resorts to going to court or saying, "Well, I have sole custody, so I'm just going to do what I want to do," people often feel like court or using sole custody as the reason is going to solve the problem once and for all. But I find that that that's not the case. So, part of the problem is that if one person quote wins in court, then that issue might be solved. It might still come up again, though. But the main problem is that they, they may have resentments. The one who didn't, quote, win might have resentments that, that kind of come out sideways and create other issues. So with mediation, it really gives you that chance to, to work things through. And it's not always easy. You know, mediation is not rainbows and butterflies. It's, uh, it can be challenging, but that's, that's kind of some of the work that, that needs to be done, really.
0: Let's work that example through in terms of what those ramifications could be. So your, your relocation example. Let's say a family is located here on the East Coast and one parent wants to relocate or needs to relocate to the West Coast for, for work. And if one, I mean, I don't know how it is in Vermont, but that would not, even if the parent, one parent was, had sole custody, it wouldn't, Really make any difference. You couldn't move with the child to another state without the, or far away, without the other parent's consent, whether or not you had sole custody or not, without the agreement of the other parent or a court order. I think one point that you made, Eric Wheeler, was that it's not, having sole custody doesn't give you carte blanche to do whatever you want to do. Right. You still are entwined with the other parent. So let's say, though, you went to court and you were allowed to move. The court decided that it was in the best interest of the child for whatever reason to allow either the parent with whom the child lives more often than not, you know, what we call the custodial parent to stay or, or to move or the other parent. And let's say then, all right, there's resentment that builds up between the parents and the children are sort of stuck in the middle, right? So then how are the children going to have a relationship with both parents under those circumstances? And there might be resentment that builds up and anger at one or both parents. It could be that if the parents can't work together to resolve it, it could be that the kids get depressed or have alcohol or drug abuse issues that come up because of the fact that they feel abandoned by one and maybe both mm-hmm. parents and it, and it could be on the other hand that if the parents can work together and figure out a change in the in the parenting plan and the parenting schedule so the kids maybe spend summers with the parent who moved or the other or the parent who stayed regardless depending on what the situation is or they work out some kind of change in the in the plan that allows the children to feel that both parents are participating in their lives, that mediation is just a better place for that, I think is what you're saying, because the the creative possibility of, of working together to solve this shared problem comes to the fore, as opposed to having just kind of an answer to one question forced on yeah. them, and that one answer, that one question raises a whole bunch of other questions, which won't necessarily be resolved by the court determination is that right?
1: Right. Yeah, there there's so many factors involved like you're saying and and it really can impact the kids and and that's, you know, our priority is really making things as smooth as possible for the kids. So working together to find a way to address those different pressures and disagreements is really what the work that needs to be done. And one of the most difficult situations I find in mediation is that geographic distance issue. So it doesn't have to be enormous. You know, it can just be an hour away even, or I've seen cases where an hour drive between the homes made things very difficult for the parents and the kids. And even, you know, but but if it ends up being a few hours or, you know, hopefully not across the country, I have seen a couple of cases like that too. That's very difficult to resolve. So, one of the recommendations I make to people as they're going through divorce is make every effort possible to to keep that distance as small as possible between the two parents because otherwise there can be issues that are pretty challenging to resolve.
0: Yeah, I think those are really hard, too. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WVOX 1460 AM, alternate Wednesdays from 5 to five thirties, or perhaps you're listening on the podcast available wherever you listen to podcasts. And I want to encourage people, if you've got any family law issues at all in New York State, give us a call, 914-862-7487. And I'm speaking today with Eric Wheeler. And so, Eric, where can people find out more about post-divorce mediation or about you?
1: Sure. Yeah. My website is accordmediationvt.com. So my practice is called Accord Mediation, A-C-C-O-R-D. And my phone number is 802-391-4121.
0: Great. Thank you so much. So, you know, I think that people have this idea that once you go to court, it's going to be over and done with. And that's just not true. And I think that our conversation so far really indicates some of the things that can come up. But what are some other things that you have seen people use mediation to help with after they've gotten divorced? Yeah.
1: Another one that that comes up commonly is how to split expenses for the, the kids' expenses. And that's also something that that can be talked through, and you can usually anticipate a lot of different categories of expenses and and prevent that disagreement later. But quite often, one parent might want to spend a lot more for whatever it is kids' clothing or activities or whatever that might be, and the other parent doesn't agree with that expense. If you don't have some parameters in place beforehand, then then that's a lot more difficult. So for example, if one parent wants to buy a really expensive piece of clothing and then expects the other one to share that expense, that causes conflict that people come to um, mediation for. So what they often do in mediation, in this post-divorce mediation, is talk through what those parameters will be. So they might say, well, you know, for me, an expense over $200 is going to be quite a bit for me to consider sharing. So let's agree that if the expense is going to be over 200, you need to ask the other parent first to make sure that they agree on splitting that. And so it doesn't mean that the parents are limited from spending that. It's just that they can't automatically expect the other parent to pay it if it exceeds that threshold.
0: That's kind of an interesting thing, because another thing that i found people come to post-divorce mediation for is if they haven't been truing that up on a regular basis, if they have an agreement Mm. that they're going to split private school tuition or they're going to split whatever it is, if you let it get... Too much. Too many years go past. I mean, I had a couple come to mediation once where the the bill was in the seven figures. You know, the oh my gosh. one parent was looking for over a million dollars in reimbursement, and and the and the other parent was, was like, uh, no. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like that, that's too much. And, you know, it's, it's really a problem. So if you do have an agreement that calls, it calls for a periodic true up where one person reimburses, first of all, there's an app for that. There, there are a number of apps out there that do that for you and do that calculation so you don't have to be constantly texting. And I think that's really useful to use it because it, that means you don't have to talk about it, but also mm-hmm. to not let it go years, uh, because it's just a lot better, easier to get reimbursed 20 bucks than it is 2,000 bucks, 20,000 bucks, and certainly 2 million bucks.
1: What do you yeah, think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's really hard to talk about those expenses a year later too. So even if the, both might agree to splitting that expense to some degree, if you're talking about an expense from a year ago and you're trying to dig up details on that, that's a lot more difficult. So I totally agree with recommending a uh, periodic true up. That, that makes a lot of sense. And tuition for for private school or for college is also something that that comes to post-divorce mediation. So that's, you know, again, one of those things that that you can talk about as part of your divorce and try to come to agreement on how you're going to split that expense and and to what limit. You know, some some are, are perfectly happy to share college expense. And they know that they are limited to a certain amount based on their income. So they'll say, well, I can guarantee I'll share it up to X. And, and those are important parameters to have in place.
0: Yeah. And I also think that mediation can be very helpful when there's been a change in circumstances where the person who was making more money loses their job or then the person who was making less money is now making more money. You know, there can be a change in the parenting plan where the children are living primarily with one parent and switch homes or go to a 50-50 arrangement, which might change the financial arrangement as well. And so I think that there's from our conversation, my own experience, the idea that any post, what we call the law post-judgment, but post-divorce issues that come up can be much perhaps e- more easily discussed in mediation and that it's easier if people go to mediation right away when they have a disagreement instead of waiting until they're really, really dug in. What's your experience with that?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And people ask me that sometimes. They say, well, well, should we do mediation now or should we wait a little bit? And I say, no, talk about it now. Even if maybe there, there's some details you need to figure out and you can't do those in the first session, you can at least get through a lot of the discussion and therefore come to some understanding of each other's side viewpoint and also get some of those issues out of the way. So the sooner the better because those resentments that build up that can Make things much more difficult to work together if they are building up over a long period of time.
0: Yeah, I agree with that because people just dig themselves further into a hole, and it's not getting yeah. better. I mean, what are you waiting for? Just to hate each other more, <laughs> you know? <And laughs> right. so, I mean, when people get divorced and they have when they have children, there's a long road they have together, and if and if mediation can help them resolve the issues more easily, I'm all in favor.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and and. That they're working together for the kids' benefit too, which is really important.
0: Yeah, so, um, you know, I think mediation, just in our last few seconds, can also be helpful if people have any kind of disagreement about parenting or decisions or school or doctors. It's a great place to go. Uh, Eric Wheeler, that's my experience.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you.
0: It's been great having you as our guest on Divorce Dialogues. Thank you so much for your time today and for your comments about post-divorce mediation. And I, um, I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. It was good talking to you, Catherine. Thanks for having me.